Welcome to AJHP Voices, a series of discussions with AJHP authors and interviews focused on contemporary issues that drive health outcomes. AJHP is the official journal of ASHP. Its mission is to advance science, pharmacy practice, and health outcomes. This is William Zelmer for AJHP Voices. I'm speaking with the lead author of a paper entitled Emerging Roles for Pharmacists in Performance-Based Risk-Sharing Arrangements. With me is Martin Calabrese, PharmD, who is a Health Outcomes Fellow in the Department of Pharmacy Practice and Science at the University of Maryland School of Pharmacy. Marty, let's start by having you give a definition of performance-based risk-sharing arrangements, please. Um, sure, Bill. So performance-based risk-sharing arrangements, which I will now use the acronym of PBRSA, are known by many names and buzzwords, uh, such as pay-for-performance, patient access schemes, outcomes-based schemes, coverage with evidence, um, are all examples of other names that describe the same concept of PBRSAs. Um, however, one important um, definition that comes from the International Society of Pharmacoeconomic and Outcomes Research defined PBRSAs as they involve a plan by which the performance of the product is tracked in a defined patient population over a spe specified period of time, and the cost amount or level of reimbursement is based on the health outcomes achieved. So that's a pretty good global definition of what PBRSAs uh, if I had to give a, a definition, that's how I would describe it. Okay. Well, you've just mentioned uh, the International Society of Pharmacoeconomics and Outcomes Research, and as I understand it, uh, your article draws on a 2013 report by that society. Is that correct? That is very true. Correct. And I, so I do not claim to be an expert specifically on PBRSAs. Um, I would immediately defer that designation to the co-chairs of, of that ESPOR task force, such as Dr. Lewis Garrison or Dr. Adrian Fos and the others on the committee. Uh, now I feel it goes without saying that the sentiment that healthcare is too expensive has been around particularly for the past decade, uh, particularly with innovators of pharmaceutical products increasing the asking price or cost for their medications. As kind of prices have escalated, payers were demanding kind of trying to share some of the risk in terms of going back to the definition of PBRSAs is trying to perhaps tie the outcomes achieved with the drug with cost. So if outcomes are achieved, potentially there could be a partial refund or depending on whatever the agreement would be. As these agreements were beginning to form or beginning to be talked, discussed about ISPOR, um, the National Society of Pharmacoeconomic Outcomes Research, they, um, as academics like to do, they wanted to define this concept and then they did a pretty thorough analysis on defining PBRSAs, going to the subcategories of PBRSAs, and kind of trying to at least lay the groundwork for um, best practices and considerations. So that's why the paper used this uh, task force report. It was cited quite frequently because, um, in my opinion, it, it provides the best example of defining uh, what a PBRSA is. I, I mean, I don't know about you, but um, I don't believe a lot of pharmacists, or at least the pharmacists in the readership of HHP, they might not be fairly familiar with this poor. So I wanted to make right. sure that I, I that I used a good resource that was well respected in the in the community of you know on the ISPOR side and bring it over and kind of introduce it to the AJHP um, to your audience. Right, makes sense. 
Yeah. Marty, you say in the article that there needs to be enough uncertainty around real-world performance of a product in order for manufacturers and payers to consider PBRSAs. Uh, could you elaborate on that, explain that? Sure. It's a great question. And that statement, uh, when I wrote the manuscript, was intentionally left ambiguous for a reason. But the uncertainty that I'm referring to involves two basic thoughts in my mind. One is there should be uncertainty around the real-world effectiveness of the medication, because after all, clinical trials only prove efficacy. So we're talking about real-world effectiveness, so in a real-world population. And two, the uncertainty also has come with that the increased costs um, that is perceived to be significantly of this new product, and specifically when we're talking about medications, needs to be more than the standard therapy. In the paper that we're talking about, we focused on uh, Sacubitril Valsartan, which is brand name Entresto, to further explain the situation where uncertainty is present. Because in this new medication, it received indication for reducing heart, um, the risk of heart failure-related hospitalizations and deaths among uh, heart failure-reduced ejection fraction population. However, initially, payers and clinicians were hesitant about this medication. This drug was approved with only one trial, the Paradigm HF trial. However, without going into too much detail, this is, um, not to take away from that trial, it is the largest heart failure trial and is generally considered to be well-designed. However, to base your decision-making on one trial, um, many people feel uneasy about it, as you can imagine. Mm-hmm. So, so in addition, uh, clinicians and payers uh, naturally are skeptical of whether trial efficacy um, is always translatable to real-world effectiveness, as we just mentioned. So given this uncertainty and the fact that its proposed place in therapies to replace the generic ACE inhibitor ARB therapy, which are pennies a pill, and now this new branded medication demands a higher price. Uh, this scenario prompted Novartis, uh, the innovator um, of this product, to openly state the willingness to engage in a performance-based risk-sharing arrangements with providers. The health outcomes follow. I found this particularly interesting because usually when you when you read the press release that a, a medication was approved. You know, you get a little summary of, of the medication and its clinical evidence. However, at, at the same time, Novartis also stated that they about the willingness to undergo these uh, risk-sharing arrangements. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Very so, interesting. Yeah, so th- I thought that was a pretty good tangible example of uh, for both ambulatory and inpatient clinicians to understand how PBRSAs could be applied to them. Okay. Well, Marty, could you give listeners a a sense of the type of infrastructure that's necessary for these arrangements to be feasible? Sure. Anytime one talks about outcomes, immediately um, what would come to mind is how do you track and record these outcomes? At minimum, I would argue that an electronic health record is required. Um, Ideally, the same electronic health record would be present across all points of where the patient interacts or receives health care in that given health care system. Um, of course, in the USA, uh, our healthcare system is fairly fragmented. Uh, there are different healthcare systems in a given city. So ideally, um, you would want to have some mechanism to be able to aggregate and collect these important outcomes measures that would be required in a PBRSA across all the systems. Well, it, it would seem to be costly to set up these arrangements. Could you comment on uh, some of the key cost factors that enter into decisions about establishing a PBRSA? Sure. A cost-benefit analysis, as would be recommended anytime you decide to implement a new strategy or a new program, should be conducted by the various entities involved in the PBRSA. 
There are a few specific items that I feel that decision makers would need to consider. One would be that to make sure that the opportunity costs or the loss of potential benefits of the alternative choice, which is likely to occur without doing the PBRSA, are considered. So does undergoing a PBRSA result in the delayed access um, to a treatment? That's one thing to consider. Uh, two, does a PBRSA fulfill a need or add sufficient value? So think about it. So think value of information principle. How much does the payer or innovator value a cl uh, the, the information collected? And whether that is matched um, to the potential risk sharing arrangement. So you have to make sure that the information you would get from this arrangement is valuable. And then the third is um, you have to remember that PBRSAs are not indefinite. That definition, to go back to the first question you asked me, um, you're looking at a specific patient for a specified period of time. So they're eventually going to end. And you have to also consider the costs um, of ending them. Um, so they, all that needs to be taken into consideration when each entity perform their internal cost-benefit analysis of whether they should implement a PBRSA. Okay. Well, you point out in uh, this article that CMS has been using one type of PBRSA to generate evidence for future coverage decisions, uh, such as for mm -hmm. expensive anti-cancer agents whose approved indications expand over time. Could you comment on uh, what effect that has had? Uh, what have you seen as the result of this? Sure. This article that, that I cited was from a health affairs journal, and it discussed how CMS's use in coverage evidence development, particularly in the days of early colorectal um, therapy. CMS is, by statute, required by law to um, cover many off-label indications for medication. However, as you mentioned, off-label use expands, whether it's official, on-label, or off-label um, uses. CMS, in order to in inform themselves whether it's appropriate to fund and pay for these expensive medications, they wanted to make sure that they're collecting in real time, in real world, whether we're seeing improved outcomes or not. And I feel that this early example is one of the more seminal moments of PBRSAs in terms of providing example of how a payer can actively evaluate whether a medication should be reimbursed for and then also whether it's worth continuing to be paid for in their population. Marty, uh, what role do you see for pharmacists related to PBRSAs, uh, particularly in the patient care setting? I do firmly believe that pharmacists should be involved in PBRSAs, particularly in the patient care setting. One aspect is since we're the drug experts, should be aware of the PBRSA, that it exists. After all, pharmacists can be involved in design of them. Also, how they can specifically benefit PBRSAs is making sure that documentation is done appropriately. So one, beyond making sure that uh, treatment's being used on indication that the dosage is being done right, as is typical for a pharmacist to do on a day-to-day -day basis. They can make sure that the fields and that are being required for the PBRSA in terms of the outcomes that are being tracked or any kind of side effects that are being tracked, that those are being captured and, and done. Whether it's a, an extra lab that hasn't been done, pharmacists are trained and knowledgeable to make sure that all the adequate monitoring is being done appropriately. And honestly, I feel this can be done both on the inpatient and outpatient setting. Right. Very good. Well, what can you say about the, the current status of application of PBRSAs in the United States? In general, I believe it is fairly slow. 
To add to that point, last summer I attended the ISPAR annual meeting in DC. There was a large interest in T-bear assays, and in the audience in the, the round the panel discussion that I attended was, was pretty large. I was pretty impressed by that. On this panel, heads of, of health systems were talking about uh, their experiences and how they've implemented in their health setting. However, um, one that come to mind was Harvard Pilgrim has specifically been pursuing these kind of arrangements. So it seems to be kind of individual health systems. And from what I understood or what I gleaned from that, it seemed to be primarily academic, strong academic settings. You know what I thought was the most striking? Hmm. Pharmacists weren't there. Um, at least I didn't see any PharmDs that were on this panel. So it seemed oh, yeah. to be fairly uh, MD-driven in terms of being uh, MDs um, um, oftentimes are the head of the health system. Um, I feel that uh, PharmDs should step up and try to take a role in this since it is uh, medication-focused uh, PBRSAs. Indeed. Well, Marty, as we draw our conversation to a close, uh, let me ask you this. As I read your paper, it seemed that uh, its perspective was largely reflecting the outpatient fee-for-service environment. And I wonder, do you foresee any application of PBRSAs in the inpatient fixed-rate reimbursement environment? Um, I completely see that as a possibility, of seeing PBRSAs implemented on the inpatient fixed-rate um, reimbursement setting. After all, the infrastructure is there inpatient setting, we're not trying to create new data gathering systems across various systems. Typically, if you're an inpatient, um, that patient stays internally in that system until that, that medical episode is concluded and they're subsequently released. So I feel in terms of um, making sure that they establish uh, infrastructures there, um, I feel it's definitely a possibility. Mm -hmm. However, the, the right scenario needs to be in place. Um, I can see it potentially happening in interventions that are considered risky and, and used acutely. Uh, for example, if there was new medication for DVT pro prophylaxis, I could see an appetite for health systems to engage with innovators to enter PBRSA to potentially cover this medication over a generic medication such as heparin. And after mm -hmm. all, in the AJHP's pharmacy forecast that was published this past January, the panelists did kind of mention that there's a likelihood of this occurring over time, that there's an appetite for it. it it's just that right now, um, I don't feel that it's a, uh, it probably should, um, especially since uh, we're in an environment of pay for performance, or and especially Medicare is moving to uh, pay for performance um, mechanisms and payments. So I feel that PBRSAs could be designed to take into consideration those quality measures of performance that are, that are given, especially if mm -hmm. the indication of the medication matches uh, a performance measure. Um, and for this case uh, that I highlighted in the article, uh, thank you, Jill Valsartan, for um, risk of hospitalization and, and heart failure-related death. Um, a major quality measure for hospitals is 30-day readmission of, of heart failure. So that's something in an inpatient setting. And for, for this specific case, it does transcend inpatient to outpatient. But um, that, that is one, one example of how it can kind of press um, an inpatient setting to, to um, undergo these arrangements. Right. Well, Marty, thank you so much. This is William Zelmer for AJHB Voices. I've been speaking with Dr. Martin Calabrese, the lead author of an AJHB paper entitled Emerging Roles for Pharmacists in Performance-Based Risk-Sharing Arrangements. Thank you for listening. That concludes this interview. 
For more information about AJHP, the premier source for impactful, relevant, and cutting-edge professional and scientific content that drives optimal medication use and health outcomes, please visit www.ajhp.org.